all things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed. We'll help you work with Generation Z with all the information that you'll need. It's the Jack and Ollie Show. Welcome to the Jack and Ollie Show. I'm Jack Denton. And I'm Ollie Sidwell. And today we have Paul Redmond, who is the Director of the Student Experience and Enhancement at the University of Liverpool. Welcome, Paul. Hi, thank you. Nice to, nice to speak to you. Thank you. And maybe you could um, give anyone who doesn't know um, too much about you or your background um, a little bit um, of history of who you are and the types of things that we might be able to learn from you today. Yeah, sure. So I'm Director of Student Experience at the University of Liverpool. So I'm responsible for a whole range of student-facing services and teams and functions. But my, my main aim is to make sure that students come to university, they're, they're well looked after, they have a great time, they're successful and ultimately they're employable. So that's been a big part of my background, really, working in the employability field, you know, looking at how the world of work is changing. And, you know, to help, my, my priority is to make sure that we're educating our students for the right century, uh, the 21st century, not the 20th century. Yeah, okay, well clarified. We're, we're focusing on the new world of work and how, you know, how to equip students for this new environment in which we're finding ourselves. What is the new world of work and what? Yeah, what does that look like? Well, you know, if you look at if you look at how the world of work is changing already, the impact of technology, artificial intelligence. Um, I mean, our university is you know two hundred years old, and you know if you think about the traditional graduate job, it would have been mostly a job for life in in a, in a small group of professions. You know, we think that even about fifty years ago, there were only about thirty graduate jobs available. Mm-hmm. Now I've got thirty different job roles in the career service. So, you know, the world of work is changing very quickly and the challenge for our students is not just to be employed, but it's, it's to stay employable mm-hmm. for, 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 in their case, decades to come. So it's a, it's a global world, it's a joined up world, and it's a world in which change is happening probably quicker than ever before. So, and how, how can you start to prepare a, a young person for the, the future if we don't know what the future is going to be like? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the first thing to do is, is it's not something that's done to you. It, it's something that we do with them. And I think, you know, you're absolutely right. We, we don't know. Um, I mean, we, there's some great studies that have shown, you know, last year about 30% of all the jobs that graduates went into what didn't exist 10 years ago. Um, so it's changing rapidly. We've got to give them this, help them develop the opportunities to 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 become employable, you know, so they can they can manage their own career development and opportunities. So I think the first thing is to involve them and to let them know how the, how the game works, because in many respects it is a game, mm. how it works, what, what the rules are, how to create the rules. Um, but we, we need to work with them to help them understand what, what's out there. I suppose in the same way as um, lots of jobs that might be available in 10 years or 15 years don't exist now, I guess it's also the, the other way around, right? There's some jobs that exist now that might not exist. And I think there's a term you've spoken about, this zombie jobs, right? Maybe you could explain a bit to us of yeah. what they are. And That's that's the book I'm working on at the moment, um, the, the Attack of the Zombie Jobs. Um, and, and these, you know, there are a number of jobs that exist at the moment, but technology and artificial intelligence is rapidly taking over the core of those jobs, leaving a sort of a husk on, mm-hmm. um, of, of, um, available. So there are a whole series of jobs accountancy for example you know which 
people still recognise and talk about, but technology is transforming as we speak. Other areas like radiography, for example, you know, that are going through massive changes. And that's, that's their jobs that I'm calling zombie jobs, jobs that are with us now, but in respect, their autonomy has, has gone or, or is rapidly going. So you think um, those jobs might not exist in the future? Or, or they I, definitely won't? Well, like they do now, I guess. Yeah, like they do now, yeah. They, they definitely won't. I mean, it's all about now, really. They're changing rapidly now. It's interesting when you talk to the big four accountancy firms, they, they increasingly call themselves professional services firms, mm. not accountancy firms. So, you know, the employers realise this and they're, they're moving into different areas to stay um, profitable. But I think in some respects, what's behind the curve is education. We're still preparing for people for jobs that won't exist very, very, you know, very soon. Yeah, sir. We've got these outdated ideas that, you know, you do a degree in a subject and that leads to a certain group of subjects, as it once did. But we now know, what, 80% of all jobs ask for any degree discipline. You know, so things have changed very quickly. Yeah, and how, I guess, at, at Liverpool, uh, how have you seen that change and what have you, I guess, you've been doing to try and, uh, I guess, you know... Be Prepare a, people. I yeah. Think, yeah. yeah. Well, the, the traditional career service model, and we've had a career service here since the Second World War. In fact, the first head of careers here was an ex-Spitfire pilot. Really? Wow. That's great. <laughs> and, and, you know, so people would, would come along to a careers advisor, book an appointment, and, and they'd have a conversation. The careers advisor would give them some wisdom, some wise words, and suggest a group of occupations that he or she, well, it's mostly he, would go into, um, often based on contacts and a, a knowledge of a select group of occupations. That's all gone now. So we've, we've been working for the same for the first time to transform that model, to disrupt that model. So what we've been doing is training students as career coaches who can go and give front-level transactional advice to our own students. In other words, demystify this whole idea of going to sit at someone's feet and get some ideas about what they should be doing. We need to equip students with the knowledge that careers advisors once had so they can look after their own career development. So, I mean, that doesn't mean to say that we don't have specialist staff because we do, we're getting invested in more. But what we want them to do is to work in the curriculum and shape how people learn and how, how um, employability is integrated into academic programs. So that's the shift that we've been doing. And so far it's working really, really well. Do you think in the general student population that they're aware of, of this, this, these changes that are happening? Yeah, I, it's interesting because... You know, our, our new students I spoke to this September, I gave a, a welcome talk to all 5,500 students. Mm. And they, most of them, 92% of them were born in the year 2000. Wow, yeah. It's an amazing, sort of, for me it was an amazing um, wake-up call, really. They were true millennials. Um, and I think, you know, in some respects their experience is the same as any other group of students. They want to have fun, enjoy themselves, learn. You know, they're passionate about education, which is great. But they... They're carrying with them more technology than NASA used on a space shuttle, mm-hmm. you know, and that so their their view and connectivity of the world is very very different. And I think, in a sense, they they've acclimatized to these changes much more quickly than previous generations. Uh, but you know, we, we know what they what they value now is 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 development, the opportunity to to, to, to become a sort of a, a, a better educated, happier, healthier person. Um, so I think that in some respects they, they're different, but in other respects they've, they, they're getting on with it. 
and, and coping really well. Do you think that um, the whole process is, is joined up between, say, young people and their understanding of what life might be like in the future, universities in general and what they might be um, teaching and helping young people to be prepared for, and also employers in terms of how they're helping and what maybe they expect? Do you think those three things are joined together or is there some... Oh, I think there's loads of scope to do it better. Um, I think that one of the problems we've got, we all see the world through our own generational lenses. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's the problem. So, so you know, if you look at uh, people like me in senior positions in universities, we've got a view of the world or the view of what universities should look like. And it's very difficult to get away from that. So we're, we're still building new theatres. And uh, when we know, I think U, UCL, and now teaching a module through holograms. Right, wow, that's great. Yeah. I, I've, I've done a holographic lecture. Uh, yeah. Which is a weird feeling. Yeah, what was it like? <laughs> well, it's, it's a weird feeling because you can't see the audience because you're not there. Yeah, right? yeah, right, yeah. I, I could hear the audience scream when I appeared. Um, because, it, you know, it was like being the ghost of Jacob Marley. <laughs> um, but, but it made me think this technology is going to get cheaper and cheaper. So why, why are we creating huge lecture theatres you know so there's a disconnect there um and i think you, there's a disconnect between universities and employers we could do that a lot better um you know the, the link between academic knowledge and how employers want knowledge so for example we, we've still not really worked out how to assess knowledge so we give big lectures uh, we give big exams mm-hmm. that students have to complete when we know there'll be no time in your in your career from now on that you'll memorize information mm-hmm. you know there's no need for that yeah yeah so we're out of sync uh, yeah. and it's it's going to take some time till we get back in sync but, but we are out of sync at the moment i've read something about um that in terms of um, people no longer rem- remember things they remember where they can find information yeah because you don't yeah. need to remember the exact piece of data but you do need to remember where you could where you could access it uh, or yeah. where you found it and, and we're gradually changing. So our English degree course has, has stopped doing some exams in some modules. And what they do is they give students 48 hours to complete an assignment. Um, and you can go off, go away, produce. You've got 48 hours to come back with this, this assignment. It's up to you how you do it, which is far more relevant to the world of work um, than, than doing an exam. So what do you think um, is the challenge then for the students you have at Liverpool? You know, like, what, they've obviously set themselves up. They, they know nothing different because it's their life. Um, but you're saying, obviously, there's, there's different jobs that you're aware of. So, so how do you think they're feeling about all this and what's, what's their expectations? Well, when you talk to them, they're, they're excited about the future. They're excited about opportunities. They, they're truly global citizens. So for them, you know, the world really is... a their oyster. They, 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 they see themselves as being able to go anywhere and do anything. Um, I think that they've got challenges that other generations didn't have. So um, this year in the welcome talks I gave, I was talking to them about things like social media. Right. So um, this is a generation that, you know, in a sense, social media, they create the way they see the world, yeah, um, which leads to lots of anxiety and pressure, I think, for them. Mm-hmm. You know, so I've been open with them saying, you know, on an Instagram, the sun's always shining, everyone's always having a fabulous, super <laughs> exciting time. Uh, but in reality, of course, um, they're not. They're, they're just showing you their best, shiniest Highlight. version of themselves. Yeah. 
so, so we need to help them with some of the pressures that they've got. And, and I'm not surprised that, you know, UCAS say that one in five university students in the UK now has anxiety or mental health problems. And I, I, I can't help think there must be a correlation between that, that that, you know, that social media world and, and how students are feeling. So, so they've got great opportunities, but they're also under pressures that perhaps previous generations haven't had. Yeah. So how, how do you help them with their well-being then? Because that's probably more than any other generation has been quite, uh, quite aware. I think it's certainly in the media, and we talk about it a lot, certainly, um, with a lot of clients. And you talk about it actually at work. Well, it's, it's a topic, yeah. isn't it? It's a talk, mental health is a talking point. It's normal to talk about it yeah. now, whereas maybe it was something you wouldn't always talk about. Yeah, well, we, we use different models of well-being. So, you know, we've been looking at the new economic foundation model of well-being, the five ways to well-being. What are they? And Well, they, they talk about, you know, the certain things that you can do, um, quite straightforward things that you can do that can really improve your mental well-being. So, mm-hmm. so there's, I mean, number one is connect, you know, so, so you make sure you get out and talk to people, particularly people who you wouldn't normally meet with. Right. So you you, you know, it's a challenge, I think, for today's students because they've got their iPhones or, or whatever technology device they've got. And that's a great way of saying, look at me, I'm, don't talk to me because I'm, I'm, I'm ingrained in some conversation, which, even though you might just be looking at, I don't know, well, your friend's Instagram page. Mm. So connect with people is, is, a, is a major issue that we need to get people um, to make sure that they expand their networks as much. Because I suppose it becomes like an echo chamber as well, right? Because you choose on social media which channels you engage with and which things you don't. So yeah, you so you end up hearing the same views from the same types of people who might not who might be just like you, and you don't hear any alternative views. Yeah, that's right. And so you know, you, all all you're getting is rebounded this this uh, these false narratives really. So connect with people. This is important because we've been doing some work on enterprise skills and people who often find great business ideas um, are great at connecting with people. So they're just generally good at asking people, what are you doing? And how did you learn that? What, who told you that? You know, so they show up to things. Um, I always say to students that Woody Allen quote, anything can happen when you show up to work. <laughs> and I think it's the same, anything can happen when you show up full time, full stop rather. So mm-hmm. connect with people, in particular people who you wouldn't normally mix with. Of course, universities are fabulous for that. Second thing, keep learning. So um, students come to university having done great things, which they write about on their personal statements, and then stop doing it as soon as they come here. You know, so um, we find that you need to right. keep learning. In addition to your degree course, we, we found in particular you're more likely to be happier if you do something with your hands. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm really keen about how we can get help students. University is all about using your brain, of course, but using your hands is a great way for well-being. So um, our, our students tell me they've discovered the joy of baking and cooking. So the more we can learn to use their hands, but it doesn't matter what you do, just use your hands. <laughs> can we get some of the curriculum through the, through the cooking as well? Is that going to work? Wouldn't it be great if we could do that? <laughs> yeah, um, Number three, uh, be active, keep active. Of course, the more active you are, the happier and healthier you are. So our counselling department now, if students have low mood or anxiety, they can give membership to the sports society, the sports hall. So be active, go for a walk. You know, just do something. Um, find some time in the day when you can be active. And get out of the office or 
classroom and go and walk. Um, fourth is give. It is literally better to give than to receive. A thought for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Good thought for Christmas. Give, that. Things, <laughs> give things rather than. Yeah, it's not about receiving. It's about giving. You do feel better. Whether it's your time, you know, volunteer thing, that type of thing. And the fifth and the hardest, I think, is take notice. Right. What do you mean by that? Well, again, I think it's really difficult. It's really easy today to to just see the world through a screen and not notice what's going on all around you. Uh, But but noticing what's going on, whether it's the seasons, whether it's cold, whether it's great to be with all your friends, whether you know someone says something nice to you, but noticing and, and you know that mindfulness thing about being in the moment can really help people feel better. Um, I mean, I've got an issue, like many universities, of people walking across roads while looking at their phones. Yeah. Car get into a halt. People haven't even noticed they're crossing the main road. You know, and I think you mm-hmm. can go through life very easily today without noticing where you are or how great it is. Because ultimately, all we've got is the moment, isn't it? That's all we've got. Yeah, yeah. So, so being here in the moment is a, is a key thing for well-being. Yeah, so all, at least five steps then to, to well-being. Then. How, how do we execute that? <laughs> Well, I mean, first thing we need to do is we need to put a plan together because it's all right me talking about this, but if I don't do anything when I go home or if, I, if I'm not doing anything now, then nothing will happen. We've, we've done something really simple. We've created well-being weeks um, for staff and students, and they're phenomenally successful. Yeah, and, and some of the most popular things are things like let's all go for a walk together. So we've right. had some departments that have stopped having meetings. They go for walking meetings, mm-hmm. and they're fabulous. They work really, really well. Um, we have walks where people can go and look at trees. We've got experts here <laughs> who are knowledgeable. I do love a good tree. Yeah, trees are good. Yeah. Go and look at a tree. That'll make you feel best. But do something. They're, they're practical things. But what you've got to do is you've got to make a plan for yourself. Write it down and show someone else. Someone who's going to then say, did you do that? Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise nothing will happen but I think you know it's really practical uh, things that we can all do yeah so I, sorry just to go there I think you've got um, probably a lot of listeners that are either running running schemes for early careers students or yeah. university bodies that can obviously do similar things there are there any other practical tips like that you think that relate specifically to say employers that do look after students they know they just want to make sure that they are doing their best they can uh, from a well-being perspective. Yeah, well, in today's world of work, of course, it's the, 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 the difference between home and work has become really blurred in ways that our grandparents' lives wouldn't have done. They would have walked out of the office mm-hmm. five o'clock or whatever time, and that would have been it. And today, of course, the office comes home with you, mm-hmm. uh, with your phone, so you're constantly, constantly at work. So I think there's more that employers can do in terms of helping people with their well-being by talking about it and doing things together in teams, you know, looking at how we can use the time that we've got together as profitably as possible. So having a well-being plan, uh, doing a well-being audit can make a real difference. Um, so many people, early career people that I talk to say, I haven't got time for well-being. You know, they're working long hours, they're under pressure, they're trying to impress their employers. And of course, you know, if, if you've not got well-being in work, your performance will dip. Mm-hmm. So I think it's in everyone's favour to develop a really easy plan that as, as a team you all work on. So my last university I worked in, we used to have a competition once a year to see how many steps people could take um, 
you know, in, in, during the day we had these pedometer things that everyone wore. Uh, yeah. Of course, it was always the sports team always won year in year out. Of course. <laughs> uh, but but there's things that we can do. Everyone can do. Everyone can do. So, but having a plan and talking about this as a team can make a real difference. Going back to your maybe general um, employability of students and how we can um, encourage them to do that and what universities are doing, I wonder, is there, do you think, um, maybe a danger for, for universities who aren't doing that and aren't being as proactive? Because I've certainly seen in some particular sectors, say law, for example, when some private universities who've got a very strong focus on employability, you know, they're talking like 96% employability rates and free courses if you don't get a job within six months and things like that yeah. and um, I've seen them say in law where they've you know a couple of universities have completely dominated the postgraduate legal market yeah. because they've been offering this and they've been doing it very aggressively and it's just that's something that could sneak up on other more traditional universities if they don't start taking some of those things maybe more seriously absolutely I think this this is a market that's ripe for disruption you know, if if, or if universities don't realise the importance of employability, of course, university is about more than employability. It's about you know learning and, and an experience again. But ultimately, I think students are asking far more important questions now about what they get from university, and that, that's that's a good thing uh, because we, we need to think seriously about you know, are we offering them as much as we can in terms of opportunities to develop their career. Uh, and to develop as people. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm not surprised that there are other players offering this. Um, but, of course, you know, again, it's, it, students are only with us on average for a 1,000 days. Right. And, and and so they're not with us for long. And I think it's it's about employability, but it's also about immersing yourself in a, in a, in a great education experience, which, you, you know, you have just a few days to actually engage in that. So it's a fabulous opportunity, but we, we can't be complacent. Yeah, do you, do you feel um, in the past maybe it has been a bit of complacency uh, and now you've got, I guess, the rise of apprenticeships and all these other options and alternatives to university. Uh, is that starting to really make you feel a little Put bit more? <laughs> yeah. Put the pressure on? Maybe not, or maybe, maybe the reality is in some universities they're not noticing it and that's going to be a problem. It might be too late before they realise it's an issue. I think degree apprenticeships are, are, are terrific. We're just launching one in February, the first one we've we've ever offered. Um, and to me, it's it's you know that, that the difference between Britain's always had a bit of a snobby view about apprenticeships and vocational education. Um, you know, we've always coming from a classical tradition, we've always valued the higher cultural capital academic subjects. But for me, it's it's just learning. You, you know, you can learn just as effectively on a vocational course as you can on an academic course. How you learn might be a bit different in some respects, but there's there's great opportunities for, for universities and for students in degree apprenticeships. Uh, they're not for everyone, though. You know, they're not for everyone. And, um, you know, it's not the fact that degree's finished, but, but I think that ultimately I could see the two merging together a lot more than they do at the moment. Yeah, I think it's just good that there's just a, a variety of options for people of what's right for you. Yeah. I mean, universities, I went to university and I really enjoyed it and thought it was great. Yeah. But I also, I'm really well aware of the other options and they're also great opportunities. And I think the whole conversation's not actually about it's this route or this route. It's not one versus the other. It's there's different options. Choose the one that's most effective for you as, a, as an individual. 
Yeah, and you know this idea that you, you go to university between 18 and 21, which is the traditional model. Well, some of our degree apprentices are will be a lot older than that, and they'll be coming into university either for the first time or coming back to university, and that's that's really exciting because the, you know these places, the universities are places that you should be able to dip into and come back to at different stages of your life. Mm. Uh, particularly in, t- in today's job market because knowledge we know is, is current for about five years after university so you're going to have to keep topping it up throughout your career you know whether, no matter what you're studying you're going to have to keep topping it up And so I love this idea of people coming back into university every few years for short courses or apprenticeships or whatever uh, but have a far more flexible way of learning yeah, do you think there's something there that will will emerge in the future then in terms of this, I guess, the idea of having a like, social capital and learning, con- continuous learning and improving yourself? Like, could, there, could there be a role for more people doing that in the future? Or do you think this is just yeah, a trend yeah. for young people? Yeah, I mean, we, we talk about blended learning. So, you know, we've got at Liverpool, we've got thousands of students learning online who, who only come here when they graduate. Uh, and we've got we've got. 26,000 students who are here physically. Well, I could see in the future that the, the, the difference, the, the dividing line between online and here physically blurring so that you'll be able to be here, but you'll be able to do some programs online um, and some when you're here. You know, you, that, that blended approach will transform how people learn in the future. So, you know, you'll be, you'll be doing some face-to-face, but you'll also be doing some distance work from wherever you are in the world. Are there any questions that um, we um, haven't asked you so far that we should have asked you? I think, you know, it's... I think there's, there's questions about this early career development piece. Um, you know, there's... I speak to lots of employers, and they often... They can be quite confused about how to motivate early career people, you know, uh, new yeah. graduate in the world of work. And... For me, there's, there's this issue about a generational clash in many respects. You know, different mm-hmm. generations who view the world of work in different ways. Right. And, and I think there's a lot more that new graduates could do to challenge in, a, in the right way their employers um, about how they work and the practices of work. Um, you know, an awful lot of organizations are still dominated by presenteeism, by being in at a certain time be an office base and you know and, and I think graduates could really help they should they need to evolve for new different types of working um, so I think there's a for me something that I'm really keen to look at over the next few years is mm-hmm. with mentoring you know how we reverse can get mentoring right reverse men how we can get new graduates to mentor their employers I talked to senior managers about that and they they find they're quite exciting what does that look like well yeah. I mean, I've, 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 I've had my own student mentor. Um, oh, and right, it's, cool. It's fascinating because you get to see the world of work, a world that you're familiar with as a manager. You get to see it through a new pair of eyes. Mm. And um, it's amazing how things that, for me, seem obvious to a new person just aren't. And they ask questions and they, they, make you, they challenge you to think about your organisation in, in a different way. What's the practical structure of that? So you just sit down with them and say... You ask each other yeah. questions, or you need to have guidelines. So <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, so uh, you need to make sure there are certain ground rules. Mm-hmm. So um, you'd meet several times, 
you both agree when you're going to meet, but you'd also agree the topics that you're going to talk about. Right. And what, one thing I do with my student mentors, I always go for a walk with them around campus. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge for, for me as a manager and for many managers is being quiet Yeah. and, and, and letting them talk and explain to you how, how they see things. But every manager who's ever done it has always said to me how valuable it is. Um, and of course, for the graduate as well, if, if they they get a chance to be with a manager, a senior manager. Mm-hmm. Um, but for them, it's good. It's a good opportunity and a learning opportunity for them. But I think it's, it's a good practice technique for organisations to think about. So it's something I'm really keen to develop further. Yeah, do you think a lot of employers would be keen to embrace that? Because... Like- conceptually it sounds like a great idea um, and I think we, we actually spoke about it in the last podcast uh, it came yeah. up then we were talking about diversity and how it can help diversity to understand different groups within your organisation yeah so so how practically do you think it could you know, for, for listeners thinking uh, you know I run uh, a team here how do I how do I implement something like that yeah 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 uh, people like the idea the benefits but what they don't appreciate is that you need to get you need to do some some homework before you implement it. Right. Because what don't want it to do is to go badly wrong for mm-hmm. either yeah. both parties. So we've got some protocols that we've been developing to help people understand, you know, generally how it's going to work, um, how the intervention is going to work, and what sort of topics to discuss. So there's certain things that we can do to help people manage these interventions more effectively. But, you know, I, th- I think it's, it's definitely well worth doing for organisations, as long as they pr- spend some time you know, do some prep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, we're coming back to the, the zombie jobs, then, is there anything else you think uh, you'd, you'd like to say around around zombie jobs and your, I guess, your, your book that's coming out? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really exciting for me, and I've been talking in, in lots of different places about about the zombie job concept. Um, and of course, the the issue is, what do you do uh, if you find yourself a job which is being zombified? Yeah. Right. That's the challenge. What do you do about it? And I think this is why it, it comes to a sort of a new approach to employability, that you've got to be able to develop the tools, the opportunities, and the curiosity to make sure that you don't end up in a job, which, to all intents and purposes, it's about to become zombified. These processes can either happen very quickly or they can take years in some respects. But what you'll find is as a job is becoming zombified, you lose that autonomy and the scope to, to have freedom and to think for yourself, uh, it gradually becomes codified to such an extent that you're just following mm. rules and regs. Right. And that's not what graduates go to university to do. Great. Well, uh, Paul, very conscious of your time. So thank you very much for uh, talking with us today. Um, yeah, it's been really, really interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. That's great. So I've been Jack. Uh, and I've been Ollie. And that's the Jack and Ollie Show. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> things early career recruitment the strategies to help you succeed we'll help you work with generation z with all the information that you'll need it's the jack and ollie show